0: Is there poetry in wholesale plumbing? Sure.
1: <laughs> yeah, there, there, all these things enter into, into a poet's life.
0: An honest poet will write about what he knows, of course, and, and, and uh, that's what we're doing every day. From NCPR, welcome to Northwards. People, ideas, and conversations from and about northern New York, Vermont, and beyond. I'm Mitch Tyke. Support for the Northwards podcast comes from Joe Steiniger and Mary McDonald, in support of the Adirondack Foundation, Building Stronger Adirondack Communities. Let me start by making a little confession here. I came to appreciate poetry late in life or, you know, later in life, well after my college days when I was learning about it. When I was younger, poetry sometimes intimidated me and sometimes frustrated me. Why couldn't these poets just write something straightforward in complete sentences and without so many metaphors? I got over that, though, and while I'm still not one to sneak off into my room and write poetry, I do appreciate how we can connect with a good poem. Jim Borey didn't wait as long to appreciate poetry, but he falls into the category of coming to be a published poet later in life. He has his poetic eyes trained on his surroundings in the North Country these days. He describes himself as the self-appointed poet laureate of Dickinson Center. And while that is an honorary title, he is hard at work in the borderlands, helping to make poetry part of life in places like Malone and Potsdam. If you're going to meet up with a poet for an interview, it really ought to be at a coffee shop. And so I met up with Jim Borey at a quaint little place in Malone called Tim Hortons where we talked about where poetry falls in his life, his history, and the life and history of the North Country. Thank you so much for meeting me here. Thank you very much, yeah. Um, I guess the question I have, it's, it's really easy to imagine um, poets plying their trade in places like, you know, maybe Paris or London or Brooklyn or, uh, or even like Burlington, Vermont, is there a poetry to to northern New York and rural America that people you don't think people appreciate? I do. I actually, uh, the uh, north country, it's
1: loaded, and there are some recognized poets. Uh, there's Roger Mitchell down in Jay, New York, who is uh, nationally known. But most of us up here, we don't get even the academics don't get too much recognition. So. <laughs> But, and I'm nowhere near
0: academic, so <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and I wonder if there's a if there's a certain inspiration for poetry that's maybe maybe closer to the surface in a place like rural America. Well, yeah,
1: yeah, you've got uh, well, for first of all, you have nature, of course, but you also have a lot of hard times up here, <laughs> so. Uh, that's an inspiring thing too so.
0: Yeah and speaking of hard times I, I gather uh, one of the projects you're working on right now is about uh, is, is a history project a history right. poetry project about a particular community that's really kind of experienced hard times over yeah. the years. Yeah, uh, yeah
1: I'm, I'm working on a thematic uh, collection of poems uh, has to do with the Line Mountain Standish area it's uh, Hopefully I'm trying to capture the voices of a lot of the people that went through the rise and the fall, which was actually fell back in the 60s. It was 1967 when it went down. But uh, yeah, and there's a lot of towns just like Line mountain up this way. Uh, Mineville, Port Henry was another one, but they, they had mines or they had other kinds of industries that were really strong, and then they went right down the tubes uh, as the tw- ninth the 20th century came to an end there so
0: well and the the, the poem i 've seen uh, is a is I guess what 's called a found poem um, that uh, that consists of of dialogue i can 't remember the name of oh, the yeah. poem itself um, but uh, you have but a good memory <laughs> that's
1: pretty good <laughs> yeah I, I've, I've recorded poems uh, written poems of uh, things i 've overheard in I work at the Line Mountain Museum on yeah. uh, Wednesdays and Saturdays sometimes, and uh, when people come in, they tell stories, and I all I do is listen to their stories, and I try to capture their voices in a poem. Yeah, yeah.
0: You're sitting in a corner while they're talking and hoping they're not <laughs> noticing you take notes. I usually,
1: uh, I can even though I'm 76 I still remember some things
0: and so it's, it works pretty well well and presumably you're the poet you can you can take artistic license if exactly. you need to make the lines work yeah. a little bit better
1: We can lie as long as we tell the truth that's that's what we do what's your hope for what comes out of that um, a little bit of history but I, I, I want to show the experience of uh, of first of all the early, uh, the early miners had a. It was a really, really hard place to live. It was very, very difficult. But they, they, they kind of tamed the t- It was like a wild west. But the, t- the territory got tamed, you know. So I want to tell that story. But then there was this, There was some uh, great prosperity for several years. Um, World War II, the, the mining community was really, really prosperous, and it was a good place to work if you could get through the conditions of being underground and so forth but it was always dangerous but then there was a decline and I, I've been talking to quite a few people who lived through that part of it and the, the there was a, a fear there was an underlying fear of what's coming next you know so I, I want to try and tell that story I think it's an important story of, of a rise and fall of a, a, a small community it's it's a, I think it needs to be heard
0: yeah. Tell me about your journey to becoming a poet. I, I, I hear it's um, it's it's not one that, you know, I don't know if there I don't know if there's a typical way that that someone becomes a poet. Know. But you uh, you've sort of fallen into this uh, life uh, later in in your chronology.
1: Yeah, quite a bit. Uh, I was I've always wit- written poetry. I started well when I was in high school, um, but. Uh, I never tried to get anything published and then uh, life kind of got in the way Uh, I had to earn a living and even though I kept writing I never really tried to get out there and I really didn't get too deeply into poetry until I retired. I was fortunate I could retire when I was 60 years old and um, that's when I started to study and I found a mentor. I found uh, uh, she guided me through uh, what to read, kind of gave me an uh, off-the-books MFA, if you will. <laughs> and uh, There were worse things to get. <laughs> yeah, and uh, it worked out, and I went to a lot of workshops, did a lot of study, and it, it, it worked out. Um, and then shortly after I retired, I had a, ch- a chapbook published, and then I, a couple others came along after that, so three others, actually. Wow.
0: What, what were the kinds of jobs that you worked over the years? Okay, well,
1: I came out of the Air Force in 1968. I went to work for a bank. I was a banker. Stuck with that for a while. I, went, uh, I didn't like doing collections, so I went into uh, sales, and I was in industrial sales. I traveled... Uh, Actually, this was part of my territory at one time up here in the North Country, and uh, where where were
0: you living at the time?
1: Uh, at that time, we were living in Syracuse, oh, okay. New York. Yeah, but we, I was born in Malone. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah,
0: I'm from Malone, which yeah. is how you ended up right here now, okay. back here now. <laughs> yeah. and, and my
1: uh, my family originated in Line Mountain. Oh, okay. So. Um, then I was uh, let's say I, I was part owner of a music store for a while. I became. Uh, interested in car sales. <laughs> I was a car salesman for a while. But then I, I went into the plumbing and heating and air, uh, air conditioning wholesale business. And that's where I ended up for my last uh, 20 years
0: or so. Is, is there poetry in wholesale plumbing? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> is any of it in any of these chapbooks? Uh, uh, yes, actually.
1: yes. There's uh, uh, I have two poems about pipe <laughs> that <laughs> <laughs> I, I can think of off the top of my head. And yeah, there, there. all these things enter into, into a poet's life. I, everything that uh, an honest poet will write about what he knows, of course, and, and, and uh, that's what we're doing every day.
0: Well, I guess I wonder, given all of these different things that you've done over your years, whether there's a certain kind of mfa and if those years kind of gave you a, an, an mfa in their own way you know an ability to observe people from different walks of life yeah
1: that's very true yeah when when you've uh when you've dealt with uh people uh, first you're trying to convince them of something that's one one thing so you you, you learn to listen and you and uh, that's the Probably one of the more important parts of, of poetry is knowing how to listen to people and, and, and to listen to, to yourself and to what's going on around you. So you're learning as you go you learn you, you go through parenthood. There's, <laughs> there's a lot of things that you can write about parenthood and, and uh, even though it's, poetry can sometimes be if you're not trying to get published, it can be like keeping a journal in a lot of ways. Uh, you just want to refine the language a little bit and and uh turn it into something that's uh, a little more permanent than a than a journal although journals are are pretty good but uh yeah, yeah it's that's true
0: do you think there's an importance in poetry in a place like this that people don't appreciate um y- not necessarily an importance in terms of like, you know, the the subjects being we yeah. we're talking about closer to the surface. But um, I mean, you've done some you've done some projects with uh, with I guess school kids yeah. here in Malone. Yeah.
1: yeah, I did that with uh, in uh, with the Malone Middle Schools uh, with the uh, downtown art uh, cellar. Uh, Jennifer Bylow owns that, and. Uh, we brought in some kids, seventh and eighth graders. We taught them how to teach how to write a small poem, and I'll tell you a little more about that. But <laughs>
0: uh,
1: and we and then they decorated them with their art, and that's what we did. We created little poems, we put them on stickers. Four hundred of them went out into the community, and what were the kinds of things that they wrote about? Well, some kids uh, wrote about getting along with other people. Some kids wrote about nature. Some kids wrote about their, what they wanted to do in the wintertime. It, it, all kinds of things, all kinds of things.
0: Well, And, and so you walked in the door, and, and there were some kids that had never been exposed to poetry uh, yeah. before. How did you introduce them to it? Well, I,
1: I showed them that there's poetry in uh, some of the kids' books that they've read when they were younger. Dr. Seuss, I showed them Dr. Seuss. I showed them Shel Silverstein. Mm-hmm. And, and when they could see it, it, didn't have to be something difficult, something really hard to think about. Uh, they became uh, interested. And then, and then there were some that had some pretty good insights as well. So they showed me a few things. <laughs> so it was good.
0: Well, yeah, and I, I, that, I was going to ask whether you felt like you learned a little something about uh, either about more, poetry or, yeah. or the community or both. Probably both, and probably
1: more than they did. So <laughs> it, was, uh, it was very interesting. I, I had a really good time with it.
0: When did you first get to exposed to poetry?
1: Oh, probably uh, third grade, fourth grade back then. Um, we had teachers who liked to read poetry. We had, uh, I, I can recall, sixth, my sixth grade teacher was terrific. His name was Sal Catalino. And he he would, uh, every day he read a poem. Um, I had a principal in uh, junior high. Every assembly he would read a poem. Usually it was Robert Serf, some kind of adventurous sounding poem. And, and uh, I was always captivated by it. I actually had a, a teacher who would, uh, most Monday mornings, he would jump up on the desk and recite a poem from memory. And, yeah, yeah, those days are, gonna, you don't have those anymore. Not too
0: many that I hear about. I have it. to ask my son if any of his teachers jump up on the desks. That
1: uh. was a Mr. Warner. He was a terrific guy.
0: Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Walk me through a day in the life of the self-appointed poet laureate of uh, Dickinson Center. When do you write? I try to write
1: in the morning. Uh, I get up fairly early. I'm usually up and moving around around 7 by 7 o'clock, and I try to work for a couple hours even before breakfast, and then I, uh, I read a lot. Poets, uh, that's another thing. If you're, if you're going to write poetry, you better be reading it. You'll never be that effective as a writer if you're not a reader, and... Uh, so I read a lot, um, and then I try to do the revision process. I do save that for later in the day, and there's, I do a lot, of, I'm, a, I'm a compulsive reviser, so I've got a poem, as a matter of fact, I had a poem I was working on yesterday that I uh, started in 2013. That is in its thirty-second revision. So, (laughs) ten-year poem. (laughs) Yeah, that's right, and that's not unusual. (laughs) Sure, it's not an epic. (laughs) No, it's you know, for all the work I put on it, it should be a lot longer than it is, but it isn't.
0: (laughs) Well, and I hope this isn't too nosy a question, but I'm curious to. you know, where where in your house do you write? What are you looking at? What is the, you know, okay, uh, do, you, do you have to, you know, do you have to shut yourself in a room?
1: <laughs> yeah, pretty much. I, I have two places. I, I have an office. Um, it's got picture windows. I, I'm looking out over the river, the Deer River. We live there. Um, so I can, well, I, and I do, I spend a lot of time just staring out the window. Uh, but I also have a little screen house that sits right at the edge of the river, it, our, our uh, property has got a big drop down to the Deer River. I sit there quite a bit I can bring my paper or computer even out there and, and work. But
0: yeah, You anticipated a, my next question which was would you write on a laptop or, uh, or do you I, have a I notebook? Do both. I
1: do both. I write uh, sometimes the only way I can get to it is to get to the poem is with pen and paper. Other times it comes out pretty good and and I can work great right on to a word processor or not a word processor. <laughs> Which, <laughs> <not done. laughs> Boy, I still say word processor that's all right. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> I still have four manual typewriters. Okay so <laughs> oh see I got rid of mine. <laughs> <laughs> um did the people you know the the years you were working in uh, in plumbing wholesaling and and selling cars and all the other things you you did? Did the people you worked with know that you were a poet at the time?
1: They didn't. They knew I was writing. They didn't know I was. I I would. I did newsletters for the company. Um, I I I wrote a lot of letters to the editor. <laughs> I I <laughs> uh, that was a kind of crazy period. Um, but then. I, And I would write stories, and sometimes I would share them, and sometimes people would ask me to write a a eulogy now and then. uh, But, uh, no, I wasn't real common knowledge. I wasn't out there. uh, I hadn't come out at that time. (laughs) You weren't doing poetry slams on the (laughs) car lot. No, not a bit.
0: Do you think the... I don't know, 25-year-old Jim Bury, uh who was who was writing and not necessarily sharing his poems with anybody. What do you think he would think of the Jim Boury today, who has these chapbooks in front of him and and is doing readings in public?
1: Uh, he would probably uh, he'd probably be amazed. Actually, <laughs> at the time, it was all about. Uh, basically earning enough money so that someday my kids could go to school, college, which they did, thank you. And, uh, <laughs> um, yeah, it, that wasn't in my mind too much. It didn't really get back into my mind until I was around 50 and I was looking ahead to, what am I going to do when I retire? And, and uh, that's when I started really thinking I better, better get going on this. This life, so because it is a life. Poet, you know, they talk about living the poetic life. Uh, there is something too that you you have to kind of slow down. You have to start uh, being more and more observant. You have to start listening better.
0: I was going to ask you you know we 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 were meeting up here in this uh, in this tim hortons in malone and and yep. I was running you know a few minutes late, and I wondered if you were sitting in the at this table kind of looking around you uh soaking up material <laughs> sometimes i do
1: um, I have a lot of uh, bar poems uh, <laughs> i 've got a lot of poems of uh, uh sitting in fast food places I do have but uh this time I was actually organizing my schedule for the next few
0: days. So. You were not writing a poem called no. Ice Double Double. No. <laughs> no. Uh, well, sadly, if there's no Ice Double Double, I, I, I would love you to read something else. <laughs> okay, I can read
1: a poem. Let's see. Well, this uh, I talked about career, so I'm going to read a career poem that I wrote. Uh, Black Iron Pipe, stacked by diameter the smallest tight around my little finger. I could poke my head into the largest, but all the sizes were long over 20 heavy feet each. My first job was to move the stacks. My second was to cut the pipe into equally measured pieces and machine threads on every end. We called those finished pieces nipples. I don't know why. They offered no sustenance or pleasure in time I no longer had to do hot, dirty work. It became my task to buy and sell the steel and copper and plastic lengths. I sold it by the truckload. Fancy that. Miles and miles of pipe carrying liquids, gases, and wastes of all kinds. And though it all got me somewhere, in the end, I had barely moved.
0: Jim Borey. Thank you so much. It's been been just great to talk to you, and here's to many more terms as the Poet Laureate of Dickinson Center. Thank you very much, Mitch. I've enjoyed it. That is the self-appointed Poet Laureate of Dickinson Center, New York, otherwise known as Jim Borey. He's published several chapbooks of poetry, including his most recent, a collaboration with Linda Blasky called Season of Harvest. Jim will be one of several St. Lawrence area poets leading an open mic event at the Potsdam Public Library on Sunday afternoon, September 17th. Our conversation was recorded on site at the Tim Hortons in Malone, New York, and no Tim bits were harmed in the making of this episode. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Northwards. I'm Mitch Tyke. I hope you enjoyed our interview, and you can catch new content every Friday right here or wherever you get your podcasts. Find out more about Northwards and NCPR on our mobile app or at our website, ncpr.org. And while you're there, make a donation to support everything you hear on North Country Public Radio. North Words is an NCPR podcast production. The show is written, edited, and produced by Mitch Tyke with digital production supervision by
1: me, Ethan Shanty. Caitlin Kelly handles our social media, Bill Hanel is our digital director, and Doyle Dean is our production manager. Music is by the Wickmore Jazz Trio of Plattsburgh. To support this show and find more podcasts, visit ncpr.org. This is NCPR, North Country Public Radio.